there broadcasting worldwide, universe-wide. This is the Jonathan Cogan Show. I'm your host, Johnny K. It's great to be with you. So happy to be here. Um, happy Friday, or wherever you are in the world. I'm, I don't know, maybe Australia, it's like Saturday. I don't know, some weird stuff like that. But we don't believe in time zones on this podcast. We don't do time zones. Uh, we believe uh, in universal time and uh, love for everybody. So it does not matter what time zone you are. You are part of the Jonathan Cogan Show. You're part of humanity. You're part of the love we are building here, the community, the spirit. Um, I can feel it. You can feel it. We're coming together. It's going to be fantastic. We have so much to cover. It's been a bit. So, you know, there's a few stories we got to get into that you may or may not have heard, but it's quite a list, actually. It's unbelievable. I'm looking at it now. But let's just start off where we kind of left off in the last one. I mean, this is crazy. We didn't cover this part with the Russell Brand saga, and you need to know this just in case you don't. But thankfully, Rumble, which is a competitor to YouTube, shared the letter they received from the UK Parliament. All right. They received, okay, listen to this. Russell Brand was accused of rape, sexual harassment, terrible things, terrible things. If he's guilty, punishment to the maximum degree. We're all in on that. All right. But in the free world, what what we call the free world, a.k.a. the, I don't know, the least non-free uh, world, is you are innocent until proven guilty. In the non-free world, you're guilty until proven innocent, like North Korea. But we always laugh at that because they're North Korea. And we're, you know, the UK, the United States, we don't, we're so free and we have all these rights and we're, oh my God, the peasants can do whatever they want. Well, is that true or not? Well, obviously it's not. And here's the reason why Russell Brand has been treating, no matter what you think of the allegations, they need to be proven in the court of law. That's for the courts to decide. Okay. Not for, it's so amazing how orchestrated and, and how perfectly cohesive this entire process is. So it goes from accusations from the largest UK networks to like the following day, the UK parliament sending all the big social media companies a letter saying to demonetize and ban Russell Brand. This is just the accusations. These, these women didn't go to the courts, you know, all these years, they were reached out to by channel four and other the London times and, and whatnot. And then they came forward and said all this stuff. So they were seeking it. So the mainstream, not the mainstream, the corporate press was seeking this information. Even, and if it's true, he should be guilty and get, you know, maximum criminal criminal penalty. But the truth is he's innocent until proven guilty. So whether you like it or not, he's currently innocent. So these women all these years didn't go to the courts. They didn't even go to the corporate press. The corporate press came to them. And then they did this journal, this journalism, this attack piece. Even if it's true, it's still an attack piece because they're going at him now when he's like one of the biggest anti-establishment figures telling the truth the past few years when you're forbidden to do so. But when he was the darling of the left previously in the in the corporate news, he was people just praised him. They licked his toes, you know? I mean, that's disgusting, but that's what they did. They were drooling on this man. And now he turned the other cheek and found out, you know, listen, the peasants seem to come together. And uh, apparently he saw the truth. Maybe he listened to the Jonathan Cogan show. I don't know. But uh, uh, nonetheless, he started speaking truth. And so they immediately came after him. So London Times, Channel 4, they do this exclusive. And then immediately, UK Parliament sends a letter to the top, the CEOs of all the social media companies. They all take action except one, Rumble. Rumble posts the letter. And in fact, what I have on my screen right now isn't the letter. I have the response. So I'm going to read the response from Rumble. 
from Chris Pavlosky, who is the uh, founder and CEO, Canadian, lives in Tampa, of uh, Rumble. So here's what their response was. Today, quote, today we received an extremely disturbing letter from a committee chair in the UK parliament. While Rumble obviously deplores sexual assault, rape, and all serious crimes, and believes that both alleged alleged yeah alleged victims and the accused are entitled to a full and serious investigation it is vital to note that the recent allegations against russell brand have nothing to do with content on rumble's platform just yesterday youtube announced that based solely on these media accusations and why they said media accusations is because the media went to them these women didn't go to the courts so that just is what that's just we just tell you objective facts here there's no emotion just objective facts that's just is what it is Media accusations, it was barring Mr. Brand from monetizing his video content. So YouTube immediately demonetized him upon request of the UK Parliament. Rumble stands for very different values. We have devoted ourselves to the vital cause of defending a free internet, meaning an internet where no one arbitrarily dictates which ideas can or cannot be heard or which citizens may or may not be entitled to a platform. We regard it as deeply inappropriate and dangerous that the UK Parliament would attempt to control who is allowed to speak on our platform or earn a living from doing so. Sing singling out an individual and demanding his ban is even more disturbing given the absence of any connection between the allegation and his content on Rumble. We don't agree with the behavior of many Rumble creators, but we refuse to penalize them for actions that have nothing to do with our platform. Although it may be politically and socially easier for Rumble to join a cancel culture mob, doing so would be a violation of our company's values and mission. We emphatically reject the UK parliament's demands and luckily in the tweet below they have here is the attached letter from the uk parliament so i don't know if you can see this i'll see if i can zoom in a little bit if you're listening i'm of course going to read it to you and then wait until you hear the connect oh i wasn't even gonna get in this so the person who, who is the head of the department of the uk parliament who wrote this letter guess what there are ties to the five eyes the intelligence agencies broken by gray zone i'll get into that right after this this is on the fly i forgot about that so this is from the, I love the name of the committees, Culture, Media, and Sport Committee, the House of Commons, London, September 20th, 2023. Dear Chris, because Chris is the CEO of Rumble, I am writing concerning the serious allegations regarding Russell Brand in the context of his being a content provider on Rumble with more than 1.4 million followers. The Culture, Media, and Sport Committee with their nose raises high, is raising questions with the broadcasters and production companies who previously employed Mr. Brand to examine both the culture of the industry in the past and whether that culture still prevails today. However, we are also looking at his use of social media, including on Rumble, where he issued his preemptive response to the accusations made against him by the Sunday Times and Channel 4's dispatches. While we recognize that Rumble is not the creator of the content published by Mr. Brand, we are concerned that he may be able to profit from his content on the platform. We would be grateful if you could inform whether Mr. Brand is able to monetize his content, including his videos relating to the serious accusations against him. If so, we would like to know whether Rumble intends to join YouTube in suspending Mr. Brand's ability to earn money on the platform. We would also like to know what Rumble is doing to ensure that creators are not able to use the platform to undermine the welfare of victims of inappropriate and potentially illegal behavior. Yours sincerely, Dame Carolyn Dinenedge, the chair of the Culture Sport Media and Sport Committee. So, so 
That is, uh, what do we call that nowadays? Orwellian. Is it not? It is. It is what it is. Now, the gray zone looked into this person, which is um, rather interesting to say the least. And so I'm on their website right now to see if I can find quick, oh, that that they linked the husband, um, the husband of, uh, of the woman who wrote that. That's a woman who wrote that. The husband is in the intelligence agency. So maybe we could just go in real time to their Twitter account because this is just un- unbelievable. In fact, I re- oh, oh, it's right there. Whatever. I retweeted it anyways. So we're going to find it on my page because the people need to know the truth. And you're the people and that's what needs to be done. And uh, so this is just absolutely crazy. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to go right back to the gray zone because I might have messed it up. And I'm going to pull up on the screen. My apologies for a little bit of the delay, but let me tell you, this delay is worth it because this is as juicy as it gets. This is, oh, they got it right here. Look at that. Ready for this? So on uh, the gray zone, all credit to the gray zone, which is run by Max Blumenthal. just want to give credit where credit's due. It says, Intel-linked UK official pushing censorship of Russell Brand, a UK lawmaker implicated in London's war on... 19 and Ukraine, or I shouldn't say Ukraine, I say Ukraine, dissenters is lobbying social media companies to demonetize brand. Her husband was a commander in the army's psyops division. <laughs> you can't even make this up. This is fantastic. Uh, here we go. This is from Kit Clarenberg of the Gray Zone. Intel linked UK official pushing censorship of Russell Brand. Allegations of sexual impropriety and abuse by comedian podcaster Russell Brand by the British media prompted YouTube to demonetize the star's popular channel on September 20th. The gray zone can now reveal that YouTube's financial censorship of Brand is the result of an effort waged by a former British government minister who was responsible for London's crackdown and dissent during the COVID-19 pandemic. Her husband has also participated in that campaign of a state repression as deputy commander of the 77th Brigade, the British Army's Psychological Warfare Division. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for some time, we have a whole episode that broke what the when it broke what the I think it was part of the Twitter files of what the 77th Brigade was doing the past few years. They were running this entire psyop of the pandemic. They were like the they were like the epitome. They were the top of it. All right, they were like orchestrating all of it. Her husband was the deputy commander of this group. Are you serious? It's like a little cabal. It really is, though. So YouTube justified its demonetization of Brand on the ground that he violated its, quote, creator responsibility policy. So you got to create very vague policies so you can dictate speech. When you control speech, you control thought. When you control thought, you control the masses. When you control the masses, masses, you can have a digital dictatorship. As you've all know, Harari said, that is the goal. The era of big government is back. It's here. You're going to see they wage war on the peasants. And until everybody finally comes together and realizes that our freedoms and everything we know is at stake, we're screwed. That is, it is what it is. It sucks. It's sad. But I got faith in the peasants. I've been doing this because I love the peasants. I believe in the peasants. And I am a peasant. And so are you, which is great because it's our time. They think the era of big government is back. No, the era of the free and productive and loving peasants is here for the first time. That's what's really going on. They're just confused of the outcome. So uh, that's very interesting. So I wanted to read those letters to you. I wanted you to be aware of that stuff. And I wanted you to know that the woman who was responsible for writing letter from the UK parliament has ties to the 77th Brigade, which is literally, literally the PSYOPs division 
of the UK. Okay. Nothing to see here. Don't ask questions. So, uh, next, God, so much to go into. So I want to get into, um, real quick. Uh, so the founder of Barstool Sports, Dave Portnoy, Dave Portnoy, uh, has gone viral because he, he, uh, was, he, he got whiff of the Washington Post writing a hit piece on him. Now he's been having hit pieces on him for a little while now, Business Insider and some other outlets. Um, and so he confronted Washington Post by calling them and recording it like with his microphone, like his podcast. And that video has gone viral on X uh, and YouTube. And everyone's aware that Washington Post is out after him. And why are they after him? Because he raised over $50 million for small businesses during the pandemic, uh, particularly pizza parlors, because they wanted to be shut. They wanted them to be shut down. The government wanted to shut him down. And he's like, no, we're going to save them, raise over $50 million for him. And obviously, the corporate press was very instrumental in shutting down the economy and locking people in their homes. They were all for it. They wanted, you know, zero COVID policy. They love authoritarianism. It's all they're, they're all about lockdowns. They think lockdowns is fantastic. Shut down the schools. Make sure kids are illiterate. It's so good for society. Just lock down, lock down. Make sure you do not get sunlight or vitamin D. Just take as many shots as we give you and don't ask questions. So, um, he noticed this and his call went viral and now he probably would have went on Tucker Carlson because that's usually where it goes, but he's not on Fox anymore. So he went on um, Jesse Waters and explains exactly what happened. And it's a five minute clip. And I think it's important to listen to uh, because, listen, he built bar tools, barstool sports. He's apolitical. We're apolitical. But people are pulling us into the political realm for no good reason. And so they discuss the state of journalism, how screwed up it is that it's not journalism. It's just hit pieces on whoever they want to discredit for their own narrative. So take a listen to this. I think it's important. He's apolitical. Whatever you think of him, he's apolitical. It is what it is. Here we go. Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy joins me now. So Dave, again, I'm sorry. It's a Willis Reed situation. Thoughts and prayers. I'm just doing the best I can with the glasses today. Uh, why do you think the Washington Post hates you so much? It, it you know, I, I, the only thing I come up with is in this era, ever since Trump came on the scene, I feel like people's brains just got broken. Um, the, the, the Washington Post is widely left-leading, a left-leaning organization like the New York Times, like Business Insider. Uh, it's the same group. It's like, unfortunately, uh, I know whether I'm going to be talked about positively or negatively just by the name of the organization that I'm about to read. If it's Fox, I know it's probably going to be good if I know it's, uh, you know, the Washington Post is going to be bad. And that is a sad state on both aisles, to be honest. Um, you you kind of can predict what's going to happen before it happens. So because what you associated with Trump or you interviewed Trump, they think you're a Trump guy and they want to take you down. Yeah, I, I think that they view me. Well, there's a couple things. The connection to Trump. There is a general Barstool Sports for sure, has a vibe of like bro culture, fratty, white, privileged male. We span everybody, but that is, I guess, what pops into people's mind. And those people are hated by the Washington Post, the New York Times, and we're seen kind of as a symbol of that. So that, that entitled person right now is somebody who is despised by the left. And we are a forefront blaring, me personally, signal for that, for the people who hate that culture. So you're right, but it's gotten to a crazy new level where they don't just want to disagree with you or resent you because you're bro, you're fratty, whatever. They want to destroy your entire enterprise. 
They want to destroy the people you're giving money to charity to. They want to take down your sponsors. They want all your employees fired. What brought that from here to here? You know, I think journalism has become activism, really. Uh, they're not looking for the truth. The ironic thing, and you alluded to it, for this pizza festival, like the very people who are now trying to threaten these pizzerias and be like, are you going to write a hit piece and associate you with this bad person? They are all fighting to shut these people down two years ago. They didn't want them open. I'm the one who was fighting to keep them open, raise money, keep small business. And then they turn around to these very people that we're trying to help save and say, you shouldn't do business with them. It really, they have become activists. There's not an ounce of journalism. I watched the Walter Cronkite piece that you played in the beginning of this segment. There's no interest in telling both sides of the story ever. I have been the subject of so many hit pieces and I have started so many times cordially. Let me tell my side of the story. Your facts are off. If anybody with an open mind who hasn't made their judgment, who listens to both sides is going to be, you know what? This guy is not who we're portraying him to be. No one has ever said that's the only time that phone call that I had to record. That's the only time I've ever talked to who has written a hit piece about me. It's crazy. But that is the state of journalism. Um, you know, I grew up in an era with my dad. Like, if I wasn't in media, I don't know that I know any differently. The New York Times is garbage. The Washington Post is garbage. They are activists. They're not journalists. They have no interest in the truth. None. Well, you know, because you were successful without them. So that drives them crazy. Have you ever spoken to someone that's written a hit piece about you at all? Well, that was the first time. That's the first time I have. Like I said, I have an exchange that I, the New York Times spent a year writing a hit piece on me. I, uh, Emily Steele was the author's name. I reached out to her probably 10 to 15 times begging for a sit down. I knew she was going through my Instagram profile, contacting every acquaintance people I knew didn't know. I said, I will tell you anything you want to know. Right. I am an open book. Yeah, you're, you have little, questions, you're a little too much I'll of answer. an open book, Dave. That's the problem. So you have Steele and then you have the heel. Is the heel invited the pizza fest? Because she is a foodie. <laughs> yeah, listen, I, so, here's the problem. So I, I, I don't know how you could disagree with a lot of what he says. It's not journalism. It's activism. They are not interested in, in the truth. They are pro shutting down small businesses. They hate the peasants. They despise all of us. They look at us like we're less than, right? They are the mouthpiece of the regime. They literally take their orders, Operation Mockingbird, from the government. Please, if you have not done your research on Operation Mockingbird, it's time you go do your own research on Operation Mockingbird. Not only is it not gone, it's expanded. It's wider. Its tentacles are everywhere. It basically is the Washington Post. It is the New York Times. It is these dirty organizations that are only around to influence public opinion and to shape the world and culture as the elites want it to be shaped. So until you pop out of the matrix and automatically see that that's what they're doing, you're screwed. You will not be, they are influencing your decision-making to make decisions that are not in your best interest, rather the best interest of the people that currently rule over you. Okay. Higher, higher energy prices that makes everything more expensive for you. But guess what? Money doesn't matter. To the elites a couple billion dollars. What gas goes up double, whatever it's Vachetta. It's better. It doesn't matter. 
But for you, it makes a difference. They're making you make decisions that actually hurt yourself and you cheer it on. It's wild that people are going along with this at this point. It's unbelievable. I am hopeful that people are waking up. It seems to be that way, but I still have no idea because I still know idiots that are sound asleep at the wheel going 105 miles an hour. Uh, and it's not looking good. Not looking good for them. So I just want to say from an apolitical person to another apolitical person, Dave, you can come on this podcast whenever you'd like. Um, we share a lot of the same values and the fact that we're apolitical and we just care about the pursuit of the truth. And that's it. And what he got wrong is that they're intentionally not sitting down with him and getting his side of the story. The purpose of the hit piece is to shape the narrative how they want, not to make it fair and get both sides. That's not what journalism is in 2023. No, no, no. Journalism is doing is picking the outcome and then shaping the story to match that outcome. That is journalism in 2023. It's sad, but it's real. And we need to talk about the objective truth so we can actually get somewhere as a society. And that's what the Jonathan Cogan show does. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and share with a friend. Okay, next topic du jour. This one is fantastic. Keep your eye on Chicago. Keep your eyes on Chicago. Chicago is awesome. It is awesome. I can't wait to see how what happens to Chicago. So this is, uh, there's a few uh, articles. I picked the New York Post one, but you can really pick any of them. But this, <laughs> this is amazing. So the title of the article is Kami Chicago. To have a state, to have state-run grocery stores instead of a solution to its crime crisis. So if you didn't know, a lot of the stores like Walmarts and Whole Foods, half of the Walmarts, half of the Whole Foods in Chicago shut down left. They ain't coming back because crime, right? They can't be profitable if people are stealing everything. So they're shutting down and leaving. And instead of going after the crime, just like in San Francisco, instead of going after the people who are breaking in the cars, they're telling people to not leave valuable things in your car so it will stop the break-ins to the cars. That's what Dean Preston, the, pe- the guy who runs, the, the public official who runs San Fran says, let's not go after the criminals that are breaking in the cars. No, no, no. We need people. We need people, just like in the 80s, when they told us to buckle up our seatbelts to protect us in you know, car accidents to be safer, we need to tell people to not keep valuables in the car so therefore they won't break into the car. This is the, gymna- the mental gymnastics they have to play to, get the, to pretend like they're doing something, but really they want more crime. They want chaos. They want to bring the system down. And I will get into that in this last segment here of how they actually want to do that. This is all part of the last segment I'm going to get into, okay? This is unbelievable research that we have uncovered here on the Jonathan Cogan show. It's unbelievable. So instead of cleaning up the crime, getting, you know, Whole Foods back and things like that, they're going to run. They're going to he the mayor is looking to put in state run grocery stores. Now, let me tell you something about government. If you want things to work perfectly and live in a utopia, you want government to control everything because in the history of the world, the government is the most efficient, most careful, thoughtful, loving entity the world has ever known. They have never committed genocide. They never killed millions of people. They never go to wars. They never impoverish their own people. They don't do any of that. And if you think so, you're a right-wing conspiracy theorist, Trumper. Okay? Period. End of story. Don't ask questions. Don't even think about it. Are you thinking about a question? Ah! Stop. No questions for you. So let's read this a little bit. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson. That's my dog. I can't wait to see what he does. Oh. It's amazing people want to ruin their cities. It's so weird. But hey, God bless them. 
Urban, and sometimes when you point this out, you have people that defend Chicago saying like, what do you care? Like, don't worry about it. It's like, what? You want to live with, okay, God bless you. I don't care. I'm not living there. And it's crazy because in the summer, it's one of the best cities. Uh, Urban progressives treatment plans for their self-inflicted wounds are always some toxic combination of too simplistic and too roundabout. Over the past two years, both Walmart, four of eight, and Whole Foods, two of four, have closed half their Chicago locations. The retailers released boilerplate uh, statements to explain their choices. Quote, we know the community will have questions about why we are closing these locations, acknowledged the former. The simplest explanation is that collectively our Chicago stores have not been profitable since we opened the first one nearly 17 years ago. These stores lose tens of millions of dollars a year, and their annual loss is nearly doubled in just the last five years. As we continue to position Whole Foods Market for long-term success, we regularly evaluate the performance and growth potential of each of our stores, stated the latter before lamenting its difficult decision to shutter its shops. And then... uh, One of the most obvious reasons is rampant crime, both inside and around these locations, renders their continued operation a costly risk with a practically unrealizable upside. Enter Brandon Johnson, the aforementioned far-left mayor who all but campaigned on ensuring Chicago's continued decline. (laughs) I love it. Naturally, his proposed solution is addressing the root causes of Chicago's food deserts for trying his hand as a grocer. Quote, We know access to grocery stores is already a challenge for many residents, especially on the south and west sides, acknowledged Johnson in a statement before insisting his administration would pursue, quote, innovative whole of government approaches to address these inequities. When they use when you hear a politician use whole of government and inequities in in the same sentence. You better run, baby. You better run because it's over. (laughs) Quote, I am proud to work alongside partners to take the step in envisioning what a municipality, municipally owned grocery store in Chicago could look like. He continued. One has to almost respect the the sheer hubris of it all. I do. Chicago's municipal bonds are are off in a junkyard rather than in anyone's portfolio. Crime and disorder are rampant and the city is in considerable debt. In fact, one recent ranking analyzing 149 major American cities operating efficiency, comparing their budgets to the quality of service they provide, put Chicago 138th out of 149. Breaking down its performance in more desperate areas, Chicago ranked 129th for its economy and dead last 149 out of 149 in financial stability. So hold on. These grocery stores left because they couldn't make money. It was a financial issue. Now he's saying they're going to run a a Chicago-owned grocery store that feeds the people, and they are the worst major city in the United States of everybody. There's not one below them in financial stability, which was the reason that the grocery store left in the first place was because of financial stability or instability. What is going on? Left is right. Up is down. Blue is red. Red is blue. It's unbelievable. If you suspect a government-run grocery store chain in the Windy City might not thrive, that's probably only because you have eyes to see and ears to hear. (laughs) When you're straining to walk and chew gum at the same time, it's inadvisable to try add juggling to the mix. What's ultimately to blame for this doomed, innovative Google the Soviet Union, Brandon, whole of bad government approach besides terrible economic theory is an unwillingness to confront the anchors tied around a great American city's ankles. No retailer would flee the dense customer heavy communities. They're vacating. If those communities were healthy, they would love to be there. It's gotta be one of the best places 
you want to put a business in Chicago. The population is gigantic. You got people with money there. Like to drive business out, you have to do such a bad job managing the city from a crime standpoint. It must be it must be a catastrophe. It has to be awful. Embarrassingly awful. Okay. And there's no way this is getting better because what are they doing? They're sending tens of thousands of illegal, illegal, illegal who broke the law out of the country into Chicago. And you're actually seeing the black community speak out the most in Chicago saying, hey, can we uh, not have all these people come here? Like, is there a limit? In fact, there's a video of of this woman asking, like, is there a limit for you know how many people can come? Like, what about us? You're not addressing our needs. You're not addressing our needs, but you're bringing in illegal immigrants. You know, I actually have the clip here. So she asked a very valid question. So it says Chicagoans are upset with their sanctuary city is required to house tens of thousands of migrants. And really what it's doing is it's hurting the most vulnerable communities more than anyone, not the gated communities where people have money. And so this is, uh, this was on their Chicago five news channel. Uh, this is an all black community. This is a black woman asking the question and, what is illegitimate about her? Nobody wants this. Who wants tens of thousands of illegal, hundreds of thousands, millions, literally almost a third of the U.S. population of illegal immigrants in four years? Who wants that? Nobody cheers that on. Nobody's like, give me more, give me more. But I'm going to get to exactly who does want that right after this clip because we uncovered the truth. Listen to this clip, though. I wanted to know if there is a capacity limit. Hold on, give it. So she wants to know if there's a capacity limit uh, with how many people they can bring into Chicago and also who's responsible for this. So let's see if we can get this going. And what is, what is that limit if there is one? And what is, why can't we close the borders of Chicago or the state of Illinois in the first place? Why can't we close the borders? I don't know if there's a limit. I do know that when you are seeking asylum, you are granted protections from the U.S. to not return. So that is the process that folks are. Wait, you got to hear the end of this. So she's asking question to the mayor and he's answering the question. Sorry, I have a little bit of a, of a loading issue. But basically, he's saying that the federal government is in charge of this. And it's not up to the city of Chicago. It's not going through when they come here and they get their interviews and then the And he said, the governor sends them to Illinois and specifically Chicago. So they get to come once they do an interview in Texas, they get to come regardless. Texas says you're an asylum seeker. You're being persecuted. So yeah, you can leave your country and come here and go not, wherever you want. Not Texas. This is the federal government is the one that does the process around asylum. So uh, I'm not even going to let it go uh, any further, but he's saying that the federal government. It is Texas who is making the decision to send them to Chicago. And that, that's what I wanted to know. Can we say, no, we won't take anymore? It has to come from the federal government. So it has to come from the federal government. Like, no, we don't want any more. It has to come from the federal government. And now you're seeing Mayor Adams saying, you know, we've covered that on, on this podcast at length. New York City is going to be destroyed. I don't see an end to this. You think Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York on CNN and, and, and corporate news saying, you know, uh, we just can't handle more, but send them elsewhere. Keep bringing them in, but send them elsewhere. You're seeing that the limits and constraints of the system is being 
broken. It's already a broken system, but it's really being ruined. And why is it being ruined? Because it perhaps is a potential plan that has actually been since the 1950s through the Democratic Party, actually, who's in charge right now. So it is called the Cloward Piven Strategy. Have you heard of the Cloward Piven Strategy? So the Cloward Piven Strategy is a political strategy outlined in 1966 by American sociologist and political activist Richard Cloward and Francis Fox Piven. Okay. And so basically what the strategy is, uh, the ultimate objective of this strategy to wipe out poverty by establishing a guaranteed annual income will be questioned by some. Because the ideal of individual social and economic mobility has deep roots, even activists seem reluctant to call for national programs to eliminate poverty by outright redistribution of income, which is, you know, a lot like socialism, right? And so uh, it, it goes on. to So the purpose of this is to put as much weight and pain on the systems of the government so that they break. The goal is to break the systems where it becomes too much, where then they have to do something. So the authors pin their hopes on creating disruption within the Democratic Party. Their focus was on Democrats. Um, so they said uh, um, group conflict spelling political crisis for the local party apparatus would thus become acute as welfare rolls mounted and the strains on local budgets become more severe. Um, let's see. So Cloward and Piven argued that mass unrest in the United States, especially between 1964 and 1969, did lead to a massive expansion of welfare rolls, though not to the guaranteed income program they had hoped for. Political scientist Robert Albritton disagreed, writing in 1979 that the data did not support his this thesis. He offered an alternative explanation for the rise in welfare caseloads. In his 2006 book, Winning the Race, political commentator John McWhorter attributed the rise in the welfare state after the 1960s to the Cloward-Piven strategy, but wrote about it negatively, stating that the strategy, quote, created generations of black people for whom working for a living is an abstraction. According to historian Robert E. Ware in 2007, quote, although the strategy helped to boost recipient numbers between 1966 and 1975, meaning more people were put on welfare, the revolution its proponents envisioned never transpired. A universal basic income is ultimately it's a guaranteed minimum income, but it's UBI. So uh, they're what they so here we go. Let me let me give you some more details on this because I think I skipped too far ahead. So it says the two stated that Americans who were eligible for welfare were not receiving benefits, and that a welfare enrollment drive would strain local budgets, precipitating a crisis at the state and local levels that would be a wake up call for the federal government, particularly the Democratic Party. There would also be side consequences of this strategy, according to Cloward and Piven. This would include easing the plight of the poor in the short term through their participation in the welfare system, shoring up support for the National Democratic Party, then splintered by pluralist interests, uh, by implementing a national solution to poverty, universal income, and relieving local governments of the financially and politically onerous burdens of public welfare through a national solution. So they're trying. So this strategy, which is been projected to be placated through the Democratic Party for some time now is to put so much strain on the local and state systems, the welfare, so the illegal immigrants, right? You have to give them money, you have to give them food, you have to give them shelter. 
even though we have a homeless crisis that's like none other, but every single illegal immigrant gets gets housing. But for, uh, I don't know, like a, a veteran in America who's on the streets, he doesn't get housed, but whatever. He doesn't get shelter. He doesn't get food because he only fought for the country. Anyways, people who break the law who come in, they should get everything they need. Don't ask questions. Uh, so they come in, they run out of space for beds. They run out of money for food. Just like Mayor Adams, like we need to find $12 billion somewhere to support all these people. And we just don't have it. They're, they're maximizing the pain and strain on these systems so that they break. And then the the National Democratic Party will come and say, hey, we're going to save the day, guys. Here's universal basic income. Now vote for us forever. We're going to save it. We're going to give everybody universal basic income. You don't even have to work. And how can they say that? Because a lot of these illegal immigrants are going to push wages down for a lot of the big businesses. And they're going to be able to support this UBI program by having these illegal immigrants work for like a dollar a day to support more people being on a welfare plan, which ultimately becomes universal basic income. Hence the reason behind having millions and millions, possibly tens of millions of illegal immigrants come into the country right now to break the systems, to push down labor costs for the multinational corporations, to onshore a lot of the factories that were in China that we want to kind of separate ourselves with so we can have cheap labor here. And then in turn, the people who are eliminated from their jobs and become unemployed will then get paid for, get paid by the government and be under the thumb of the government forever. It is actually a really wise plan if you really want to implement a socialist type system. It's actually really smart. If, if that's your end goal, right? You want to destroy capitalism and the functioning of American democracy as we know it now, this will shift it forever. Absolutely. And this is the strategy that is being deployed. I don't even know how you can argue with it. It is spot on. It's exactly what's going on. It is the cloward Piven strategy and they're going all out for it. There was one quote I wanted to, uh, to read but I don't know where it went, but you got to do your own research on it. So that's what's happening. That's what's behind all of this stuff. So it's to, it's to basically make it so that all the local and it basically consolidates pop more power to at the federal level, which is the last thing the founding fathers wanted. They had a federal with a lowercase F. They wanted states to have more power than the closer to the person should have the most power, the local than the state, you know, all that stuff. Uh, they are basically crushing the local and state systems then the which gives more power to the federal government and it becomes more of like a big government dictatorship type style socialist society that's what they're doing here that is what's going on this is the cloward piven strategy i don't know what else to tell you it is what it is and you must know about it i hope you can research it i hope you learn about it um maybe you like it maybe you think it's fantastic i don't know i have no idea but that's what's happening uh and tell me i'm wrong and look what's going on with Chicago at the same time. It's all eerily close. Very, very close. There was also one more that was in Zero Hedge. It's about a famine. Uh, you know, we talked about that at length on this podcast. Many previous episodes, we've been actually on TikTok. Uh, we've been censored for talking about famines coming in a couple of years. About a year ago, they censored that video to warn uh, a lot of the world in Africa that famines are coming. You know, high grocery prices in America. Not, you know, it's a big deal for a lot of people, but like, you're not going to die of famine. But Elsewhere in the world where you work for a dollar a day, yeah, that you will die of hunger. So um, that is happening worldwide. But uh, in America, uh, people on the left will tell you, uh, you know, it's no big deal. Joe Biden's the greatest president of all time. It's Lincoln, Washington combined. There's never been anyone better, even though he's literally trying to bring down the whole system. The question is who's really controlling it 
And one person is definitely Alex Soros, George Soros' son, who every day takes a picture with a new world leader. He's traveling, always traveling on his private jet, right? Loves climate change. On his private jet, he has a picture with a different world leader of a certain country every day on his Instagram and on his Twitter. Well, mostly his Instagram. Every day. So he's one of the people behind all this. He's, and he's been in the White House like 25 times since Biden was elected and Elon's been there zero times. Uh, so it's crazy. So you're watching in real time the destruction of life as we know it. Um, and maybe you should try and do something about it. Maybe you should share this podcast. Maybe you should start talking. Maybe you start waking people up. Maybe you should be a little more active if you like the way culture is a little bit right now. Sure, we need tweaks, but do you really want to become fully dependent on the government and have them dictate everything? If something, if there's anything that you've learned the past three years, the last people that you want telling you what to do, it is the government. They were opposite day every day of the week. They were wrong on everything on purpose because they want to get rid of you. You're the carbon footprint they're talking about eliminating. I don't know how clearly I could tell you that. So share this pod. Get the discussion going. We need to band together as brothers and sisters and cousins and whatever you want to say we are. So I'm asking you, please, let's do this together. So I thought that was amazing. I thought that was unbelievable research done. Uh, And I think that is the answer of what's going on. Again, just to remind you, it is the Cloward Piven strategy. And Chicago's opening up its own grocery stores, even though they rank last in financial stability. It's just unbelievable. Dave Poynor is apolitical and they're going after him. They're going after us. They're going after everybody. UK Parliament, that's orchestrated with Russell Brand. Whether he's guilty or not, you should be skeptical. Um, And uh, there's a lot of, just a lot going on. Last thing I'll leave you with, just because this quote just came by. It says, breaking the US government will run a deficit of around $2 trillion, double last year's number for the fiscal year per Axios. But if you see Biden talk, he'll say how he decreases the budget, how he's decreased uh, the debt. But literally, it's increased by like a billion dollars or a trillion dollars in the last like three months. It's crazy. So our future is uh, hanging in the balance. What are you going to do about it? You know, you guys start standing up too. We're in this together. So please subscribe to the Jonathan Kogan Show. Wherever you get your podcast, subscribe to the YouTube and Rumble channels, please. Follow on uh, X at K-O-G-Z. And please share with only one peasant one because ban brothers sisters cousins we must shout us everything love peace see you later bye